Good morning, good evening, and good night. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, welcome to What Lies in the Dark. I'm Jay Yvonne. All your life, you've been taught that the monsters you fear are under your bed and they're hiding in your closet. As you grow older, you find out that monsters aren't real. But are they? They don't hide or go boo in the night. They look just like us. They even live next door. They're our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And sometimes they're even our spouses. This isn't to scare you. It's to keep you vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's to debunk the idea that monsters just simply are not real. Statistics say about 50% of victims know their attackers. That means 50% of the time, you shouldn't fear the unknown monsters in the dark. You must be careful of the monsters you already know. Maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. If you're anything like me, you love true crime. You're simply addicted to trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and the why the psychology of it all. You sit on the edge of your seat trying to piece the puzzle together before the end of the story. So allow me every week to tell you a true crime story. Come feed your true crime addiction with me. Grab your coffee, midday pick-me-up, wine, adult beverage, or whatever you're into. And let's get into this week's story. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the What Lies in the Dark podcast for all my true crime junkies. Thank you for giving me your time of day. I promise if I hold you long, you won't be disappointed. Um, thank you for listening, commenting, subscribing, sharing, all of that. Um, I love you guys so much. So, so, so much. I love doing this for you every week. So, you know what day it is. You know what time it is. Let's go ahead and get into this week's story. Skylar Niece was a smart 16-year-old avid reading honor roll student. She was said to have a very bright future ahead of her. She found a way to balance her social life, school, and her part-time job at Wendy's. Skylar attended University High School in Morgantown, West Virginia with her best friends Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schof. Skylar met Sheila when the two girls were just eight years old and their freshman year they met Rachel and the twosome became a threesome they became this trio they were the three amigos they were thickest thieves inseparable Sheila and Rachel's parents had unfortunately gotten divorced but Skylar's were still married and they only wanted what was best for her they encouraged her to be her own person, to be true to herself, and they made sure that they nurtured her talents. Because of this, Skylar was the emotional glue for her two friends. 
Skylar's mom, Mary, stated that Skylar believed that she could save Sheila. She would often be heard on the phone giving her advice, telling her, you know, don't be crazy. Don't do that. You know, I, I wouldn't do that. You know, like a good friend. She was being a really good ride or die friend. Sheila was the fun and the silly one, always said to be doing really crazy things. And Rachel even though she was really, really well-liked and she was involved in school, she came from a strict household. She was said to adore the fact that Sheila had an unbothered, carefree take on, on life. As most know, tensions rise when you're dealing with teenage girls. When they were into it, they would subtweet one another. And the girls were into it a lot. A classmate said that once while in class with Rachel, she was on the phone just laughing and kicking and he was like, what's, what's going on? And she's like, listen to this, listen to this. And she was on a three-way call with Sheila and Skylar while the two were fighting. But unbeknownst to Skylar, Sheila had called Rachel on three-way and Rachel was just on mute listening to the whole thing transpire. And it's noted that Skylar began to feel like Sheila and Rachel were becoming closer and just doing more things to leave her out. It seemed that they were connecting in ways that Skylar couldn't. They had boyfriends and Skylar didn't. They had other things in common that Skylar didn't. And they would even call each other sometimes and be like, yeah, I'm going to wear this to school. You know, we should dress alike. And they would somehow like... I'm saying forget, but I'm sure it was on purpose. But they would somehow forget to call Skylar and tell Skylar, like, okay, today we're wearing blue or we're wearing polka dots. So they would dress alike and not even let Skylar know what was going on. And people at school were beginning to notice this. It was said that, like, because Sheila and Skylar had known each other for so long, Sheila was, like, a staple. She was a part of the family. So much so that um, Sheila would just walk into the house, like, that's how much a part of the family she was and they open you know openly welcomed Rachel like they were like you know you're our daughter's friend she loves you she cares about you you're welcome over here so this these three girls weren't just like you know friends at school and they weren't just like you know I don't know if anybody remembers being in high school and I don't know if anybody's listening to this is still in high school but for one they weren't just the friends that like, oh, you see them at school, you say hi, you hang out with them while you're at school, and then you go home and like you live a totally different life. These girls were like attached at the hip. Also, I wanted to be noted that when you're dealing with teenage girls, like I said before, fight the fighting is so catty and it becomes like an everyday all the time thing sometimes that I'm pretty sure as everybody was noticing, they were just kind of like brushing it off to like, oh, that's just what girls do. Like y'all hang around each other so much, you're bound to have issues and you know, things that um, you don't like about one another that you're noticing. And if you're around each other all the time, uh, those things are um, elevated. And, you know, so, you know, you're, you're causing more tensions because you guys are so attached at the hip. And then when you're not attached at the hip because they're leaving Skylar out, it is very apparent. And obviously Skylar is going to feel some kind of way because she's used to being around them and doing things together. And now she's noticing these little rifts not only just fights, but like things that they're doing without her. So this causing this really big commotion and it's very, very apparent and it is very, very noticeable. So July 6, 2012, Skylar has spent the day by herself bored. She even tweets, too bad my friends are having lives without me. And there were other tweets like, you know, thanks for leaving me out. 
I'm paraphrasing now, but there were like other tweets. They were like, thanks for leaving me out. And my friends are hanging out without me. And, um, you know, like, thanks for nothing. And just like, basically she was really, really upset and hurt at the fact that, um, she'd spent the entire day by herself and, um, her two friends had spent the entire day together. So as the night comes to an end, she goes into her parents' rooms to tell them goodnight before she heads to her own room to go to bed. And she receives a text from her best friends. And even though they're fighting, she decides to sneak out of her bedroom window to go meet with them. Security footage from Skylar's home shows Skylar getting into a gray sedan near the dumpster. The following day, her father David tries to wake her up, but he can't get in because the door is locked. So he manages to make his way in, but he doesn't see his daughter. And it's noted that, like, you know, nothing looked like it was in disarray. Her bed's made up, but she's just not there. So he begins making phone calls to see if he can find out where she is. At first, he calls his wife. She says she doesn't know um, where Skylar is. She hasn't seen her, but she's probably with one of her friends. He then calls Sheila, who says, no, I haven't seen her. And the last time I talked to her was around midnight last night. So the parents decide to, you know, just chill for a minute you know this is not Skylar's usual behavior let's just see if she turns up and they know that Skylar has to work that day at four o'clock and so they're like well let's just wait and see if she goes to work when Skylar doesn't show up for work at 4 p.m her parents know something's not right because it's not like her to not go to work she's a very responsible adult and if she's on the schedule she's going to work they begin looking in her room and they don't notice that anything is taken from her womb that would suggest that she ran away so her phone charger is still there all her toiletry items are still there um you know there's nothing missing her clothes are still in her room so like how is she going to survive without her essentials so she can she couldn't have run away that's what they're thinking so they're like okay well she can't she didn't run away so obviously she's missing so her parents report her as missing and the police arrive to her home and they take a report but they believe that she's just a runaway. They say that in this area, it's pretty common that when teenagers get upset on the weekends, they tend to run away. They usually get upset on the weekends because their parents won't let them go somewhere or do something. And then they usually return first thing um, Monday morning. So like these little people are gone the entire weekend just, you know, because their parents are like, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I would not be doing this podcast. I'd be in somebody's grave somewhere. My mama would have like gave me the business if I just decided that I was grown enough. Like, oh, you told me I couldn't go to that party. Well, bye. I'm going anywhere. I'm going anyway. And I won't see you until Monday morning. Like she would have been calling the police on herself. Like, let me tell you about this little girl of mine. She ran away from home. She's been gone for days. And I just had to put them paws on her. I had to beat her down. And then, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess this is I, not that it's common and not that I'm saying that the parents weren't worried or other parents weren't worried. But just the fact that the police are like, this is so common in our area. We're not even going to get all frantic about it is crazy. So they tell Skylar's parents that they're going to investigate, but they're not going to send out an Amber Alert. So while searching for any information pertaining to Skylar, their family receives a phone call from Sheila and she tells them like, Hey, I got to tell you guys something. I have to confess. We did sneak out last night. She says that they drove around the city getting high. And once they were kind of done, once they were done with their night out on the town, that they dropped Skylar back off at the end of the road because they didn't want to get caught and they didn't want her to get caught sneaking back in. And it was also noted that 
Um, at some point, Skylar's father notices that there's a bench that's outside of their apartment and it's been moved directly under Skylar's bedroom window, which had him thinking that she, you know, did climb out the window and go somewhere. So now he's like, oh, okay, well, she climbed out of the window to go hang out with their friends. Matches up. So they're like, they didn't want her to get caught and they didn't want to get caught. So now everybody's kind of getting sort of a timeline of Skylar's movements. And the police are able to narrow down a little bit more a timeline of what happened up until she was dropped off. So they believe something must have happened after she left her two friends on her way home. Police began combing through security footage. They're looking for Skylar around the time that Sheila says they dropped her off, but they don't see her. And Sheila says, I'm sticking to my story. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. We dropped her off. She says, you know, you're not going to see me or her on the security footage because she literally snuck back in and we dropped her off around the corner. At 1230, they see Skylar leave from her apartments and run across the street and get into a, a vehicle. Following Sheila's account of what happened and the footage, it seems that she came home at 1145, but arranged for another ride and is picked up by another car 45 minutes later. Sheila denies that the car in the video is hers. And the footage doesn't offer much else to go off of. They can't make out any identifying marks on the car. They really don't know anything besides that it is a gray sedan. Police tell her parents that it just looks like she ran away with her friends because she's got into this vehicle willingly. The police tell them to wait until Monday and if she's not back, then they will look for her. Then they'll actually do this thorough search for her. Just calm down, give her until Monday. So, Skylar's parents make the decision to go ahead and begin combing the neighborhood themselves. They're printing flyers and they're asking their neighbors and anybody else around about information regarding Skylar. Sheila and her mother help search the neighborhood. Rachel was unable to, to be of help to search because she was currently attending Catholic summer camp. A tip comes in that Skylar went to a house party and she overdosed on heroin. The police were told that the people at the party panicked and they disposed of her body. But police are like, mm, yeah, no, we can't really buy into this story because it's too perfect. Everyone who reports the story is saying the exact same thing and like all the details are exactly the same. And the only way that this would happen is if it was rehearsed. If somebody told them this information and they're all like, let's get on one accord. Let's all say the same thing. This is what happened. So they're like, yeah, no, our, our years on the police force, we know that there's no way that this, that you guys all have this same story. It's too serendipitous. They receive another tip that Skylar was spotted a town over with a girl with red hair. So they go to where the lead is taking them, thinking maybe Skylar's with Rachel. Like, okay, well, maybe Rachel didn't go to camp after all, and she just told everybody she was, and her and Skylar are together. But when police get there, they learn that the information that they received was in regards to a different missing girl. Rachel comes back home and the police began questioning her and her story matches Sheila's. She says they dropped her off and the next day she goes to camp because at this point she has no idea that her friend's even missing. She's like, we dropped her off. We thought she went home. That was it. That was all. So police decide to search around for some other surveillance videos, hoping that they can pinpoint the gray sedan and they can get more information. They're going around to different stores and they finally find footage of this car. 
So it places the car at her home and they're also able to determine what direction it goes. This footage is much more clear and they're able to narrow, narrow down a few options of what kind of car this is and where it could be. And it was even said that the police even started driving the, the route that they saw the car trying to narrow it down even more so like they're driving the you know if the car went left and made a right turn they're following this route and every car that they see on this route that kind of matches they're doing like a thorough check to make sure this car can't be the car so they're like really dead set on figuring out what happened to Skylar which is awesome so awesome so like I said this footage is more clear so before they only had that it was a gray sedan now they're able to tell like you know maybe more along the lines of what make and model it is you know the, the tires are still the factory tires it has rims now they're able to determine that it's a four-door sedan so they're able to kind of narrow down um, what kind of car it is which is so helpful so then the police began combing through the girls social medias trying to see if there's anything that they can find that might lead them to even more information whether it's about the party or about you know um, Skylar running away or whatever and as they're doing this they note that Sheila's like really perky and you know this girl's literally tweeting like nothing has happened she's tweeting about staying home to watch Law and Order and she's tweeting about you know just little catty things that are going on at the school and you know things that are irritating her and Rachel's to herself and she's quiet and at some point kind of like completely removes herself from social media but neither one of them seems to be truly affected by their best friend's disappearance they even tweet photos together and even a cryptic message that says no one on this earth can handle me and Rachel if you think you can you're wrong after a while, people began commenting on these posts and they're calling the girls out. They're like, you know something, you did something to Skylar, and soon you're going to be caught. These accusations start to cause the girls to get nervous, and it probably doesn't help their anxieties being brought into the station for questioning over and over and over again. They began to isolate themselves from other people and these usually really popular, really talkative, like in every, you know, active scene, these two girls are now just talking to one another, just relying on one another. They, they don't have any really, so, no real social interactions with anybody else. Police then are like, okay, we still have yet to figure out exactly what's happening or what happened. So can you guys take us back to the night that you picked her up where you guys went? So they asked them to retrace their steps. The police pick the girls up in separate cars and both of them take them two separate routes. So one's going one direction and the other one's going another direction. And they're like, wait a minute. You're saying that you got in the car together. You're saying you did this. You're saying you did that. But you got, you know, well, I don't think they told them. But in their heads, they're thinking, we're going a different way. And it's even said that they were, like, confused. Like, they were like, yeah, we went here. And then, no, 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 I think we went back this way. And they're like, mm, something's not right. So they go back to the security footage and they don't find any signs that anyone entered the apartments around the time that the girls claimed they did drop that they dropped Skylar off. And so how they're determining this is every vehicle that passed, um, you can see their headlights. Even if they don't get all the way into the camera, you can see that a car came. There are no headlights around the time that they say that they dropped off Skylar. 
So again, they ask Sheila, is this her car at 1230? And she says, no. And police are growing more and more suspicious. Sheila's car could be the one on the video as it does match the general description, but they can't be sure because they can't narrow it down. Cell phone records for the girls are obtained and the locations are pinging places that they said that they were not that night. So police get a break when they find out that the gray sedan that they're looking for in the security footage actually does belong to Sheila. And this is strange because the girls say that they dropped Skylar off or that they brought Skylar back at 11 p.m. Like, well, actually, it's 11.30 that they say they drop her off. But the car was seen leaving her apartment at 12.30. So, I'm sorry. I think I'm getting these times wrong. But basically, they say they drop her out, drop her off around 11. But this car is seen around 12. And they're like, this, that okay. Mm. I mean, honestly, when... Well, I'll get into that at, at the end. But they're saying there's a discrepancy within the times. So... The girls are also stating that they were on the east side of town, but the surveillance footage shows them um, on the west side of town. And this footage is pulled from nearby businesses. So like I said, they were tracking the vehicle and as they tracked it, it's on the west side of town. So their story is completely falling apart. And even though things were suggesting to point to Sheila and Rachel, the police still don't have enough to actually charge them. They re-interview the girls with the new information that they've found and both the girls change their stories. They both have brand new stories to tell and these new stories do not match one another. So they're like, okay, the car, we've got the car and you're not going in the right direction and your cell phones are pinging in areas you say you're not, what's going on? So they have a new story to tell and it's speculated that they thought that they were going to be able to get back to one another to tell the other, like, hey, I told the police this, and I told them that, before the other one was questioned. So, like, Sheila thought she was being questioned first. She'd be able to go back to Rachel, tell Rachel, and then when Rachel was questioned, um, she would be able to hold up Sheila's story and vice versa. But they were being questioned at the exact same time. So there was no way for them to get out and get to one another and tell the other, like, this is what I said. So police are, like poking holes in the story and they're realizing that okay for you guys to be so innocent your um your stories are just like all over the place after the questioning the people at the school are noticing that these two girls are fighting even more than they were before and they also have gotten wind that the girls lied to the police so things are not looking good for either of them December 28, 2012, the police receive a call from Rachel's frantic mother, Patricia, and she's like, I'm having issues with my daughter. I can no longer control her. And on the phone, you can hear Rachel yelling, like, give me the phone. This is over. No. And um, she's picked up and she's taken to a psych hospital because of her mental state. When she's released, she asks to go to the police. This is when we learn, and this is when they learn, the horrible truth about what happened to Skylar. Just blatantly, with no questioning, no probing, no nothing, Rachel sits down and she says, we stabbed her. She says that they'd planned the murder about a month in advance. Just one day while they were in class, they decided they were completely done with Skylar, and they wanted nothing else to do with her. They didn't want to be her friend. They didn't want her around. 
and they were going to kill her before Rachel went away to summer camp. July 5th, 2012, Sheila grabs knives from the kitchen and Rachel grabs a shovel. They also made sure to pack cleaning supplies and a change of clothes. When the girls pick up Skylar, it was under the assumption that they were just going to drive around, they're going to smoke and just have a good time and, you know, just, just, just they missed Skylar and they wanted to, they were sympathetic and they apologized for leaving her out. At first, Skylar's hesitant and she wants nothing to do with this. She does not want to go because she's been left out all day and at this point, their friendship is super, super rocky. Sheila and Rachel convince her and she's like okay I'll go and they decide to drive to the next town over and this is a spot that they'd been to before so it wasn't super out of the ordinary for them to be driving to this next town. Once they get to where they're going they stop the car. They get out again these girls are supposed to be going out to hang out and smoke so they walk toward the woods. As they're walking or as they get to the woods Sheila and Rachel tell Skylar that they've forgotten to grab a lighter but they do remember that there's one in the car. As her back is turned, walking back toward the car, the girls grab their knives and they count to three. The two then pounce on her and they start the attack. At one point, Skylar gets up and begins to run away, but they catch her and they continue on. During the attack, Skylar asks her friends, why? They don't answer her, but when police turn around and ask them the exact same question, they answer, we didn't like her. Rachel says that they just sat there waiting for her to finally die and when she does they attempt to dig with the shovels but the ground was too rocky it's too unstable they, they just they're not going to be able to dig this hole so they just move her body and they cover it with rocks and branches they they wrap everything up they take off their buddy clothes they wash themselves up and I think there's like a little river some kind of body of water that they go down to so they they clean up everything they change their clothes they put Skylar's phone next to her body and they leave the scene the next day Sheila tweets always keep your cool in January 2013, police were led to the woods where the attack had taken place. Rachel couldn't remember the exact location and police were unable to locate her body at first. But the confession was enough to charge her with murder. Their last big break in the case came when they finally find the body. And it's not until March 13th that they're able to confirm that it is indeed Skylar. Police were able to pull blood samples from Sheila's car and they match it to Skylar's DNA. They are then able to arrest her May 1st of 2013. Sheila, for her part in the entire thing, is charged as an adult with first-degree murder and she pleads guilty in January of 2014. She receives a life sentence with the possibility of parole after she served 15 years. And Rachel pleads guilty to second degree murder and gets a 30 year sentence with the eligibility for parole after she serves 10 years. Schuyler's family helps pass the Schuyler's Law, which modifies West Virginia's Amber Alert Protocol. They now immediately issue an Amber Alert when a child is reported missing or in danger, whether they are believed to be kidnapped or not. Schuyler's family's last, like, boom. 
right, Nikisser, is when they file a lawsuit against Rachel and Sheila's family and settle for $5 million. They know that they probably won't ever see the money, touch the money, get the money, whatever, but there's a clause in this settlement that says that if the two girls ever go on to tell their stories and it's like for profit, they won't see a dime. So this lawsuit keeps the two girls from making profit from their daughter's murder and any proceeds from a book or a tell-all a documentary or whatever will go directly to Skylar's family. All right, you know, I always have to do my commentary. I don't teach criminals to be criminals. But my take on this entire situation, um, for one, is the, the I'm going to go back to the time difference. Okay, so what I was going to say earlier about the time difference before I forget is just the simple fact that when you're doing something that is... Um, perceived to be normal behavior, perceived to be normal activity for you, for anybody. It is not easy to remember exact dates and times. And the only reason why I'm saying this is not to say that, you know, the two girls weren't lying because obviously they were, but just try to think about something that that happened. Um, just just think about a night where you or a day that you were having a really good time and then um, you have to try and piece together uh, what happened, what you did, what you said, etc. Because now you're looking for your lost keys or your lost phone or, you know, somebody got hurt and you can't remember exactly where it happened. Whatever the case may be, remembering the exact details are fuzzy. It's hazy. That's why police always say that if something happens, tell the cops immediately, right? So for them to to say, hey, we dropped off at 11.30 or 11.45 and it was really 12.30 or 12.45 isn't in retrospect, that big of a deal, but for them to be so dead set on the fact that it was, it was 11, it was 11. And then, you know, come to find out it was not 11. It's like, okay, obviously it's not that it's just, um, that you don't remember. You're obviously trying to be deceptive. You can still go back and you can type in Skylar's name. You can type in Rachel and Sheila's name and like, you can type in like their tweets or whatever. And um, these girls subtweeted a lot. They subtweeted each other a lot. Now that you know the entire story, you can read some of these tweets and you're like, mm, yeah, it's probably to one of her friends. But Sheila was super, super active on social media, even after the disappearance of her friend. Like I said, she was tweeting about like mundane things like, you know, I'm upset that my teacher gave me homework and oh my gosh, you know, my mom's, I mean, these aren't actual tweets. I'm, I'm just telling you like the, she was tweeting as if nothing happened. She even tweeted somebody on their birthday, which happened to be a day after they killed Skylar. She tweeted after they found the body, like, rest in peace, baby girl. You'll always be my best friend. Basically, hope we get justice for you. Like, she's tweeting, you know, trying to keep up appearances that she had nothing to do with this. Rachel removes herself from social media. And, I mean, she's still tweeting, but she's not as, you know, as as vocal as Sheila is teenagers man I mean they, I don't understand why they couldn't just you know like we don't want to be your friend anymore you're you don't mesh with us anymore you don't have any of the same interests that we have so like we're done this friendship is over I mean they even could have hit her with the alfalfa like they could have been like dear Delilah well, obviously, dear Skylar, I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. 
You're the scum between my toes. Love, Rachel and Sheila. I mean, I know that is so childish, but they really could have, you know, found a different way to end this relationship other than the way they ended this relationship. Teenagers. I don't know why that conversation couldn't be had. I mean, I understand that they're teenage girls and maybe they didn't rationalize um, that way. But to to figure out in your head that you're going to kill someone instead of just, you know, releasing them to go make other friends is beyond me. I don't think they took into account that, you know, they were going to be figured out because everybody was noticing the rips within their relationship. Um, a lot of people commented on how often they subtweeted, how often they fought and got into it. And so it kind of led police to investigate them almost immediately. Like, well, I will say almost immediately. They weren't investigating them at first. They were just kind of trying to figure out, you know, what happened and piece together the story. But after they started getting these tips about like, yeah, they were fighting and, you know, they didn't seem to get along and they were leaving Skylar out and, you know, all these different things. Now police are looking at them like very heavily. And I think that's how they got where they got with a lot of this information. And one thing led to another that led to another that led to another. It was also noted that Sheila was very, very active within the search for Skylar. And if you're into true crime like I am, you know that this is like one of the like telltales sometimes when someone has done something they're they're they don't they're not supposed to. I don't know why I can get that out. Because they are active in the search they are active in the investigation they are, they they place themselves because they want to know firsthand what's going on and so Sheila thought she was slick and so she's going to Denise's home and she's looking for Skylar even though she knows exactly where Skylar is and she's checking on the family and she's like putting on this really great act like it is said that one day she even goes into Skylar's room and when they find her she's like completely distraught and she's asking, like, I don't understand why she wouldn't tell me that she was unhappy and she was running away. And how could she do this and this whole thing? And, like, little does everybody else know that this is a complete act. Wow. I'm, I, she is just doing everything she possibly can to make it seem like she has some kind of, of um something to lose and some remorse for Skylar and she really doesn't she didn't even care about her enough to just set her free and um I think with this story the thing that stands out for me because I'm always thinking about the psychology which is I guess this this segment is me breaking down the psychology of it the, the thing that really stands out to me is just the fact of just like letting somebody go you know if if you realize that it's not working or whatever, even though it may hurt, even though it may be hard, even though someone has to ask you like, or someone may ask you a bunch of questions about like what happened. And with Skylar and Sheila, it may be even harder since they've known each other for so long. But in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it just let her go. I mean, it was said that she was very social, so I'm sure she could have found other friends. I don't know, but it, it was noted um, in some of the tweets that I did read that um, apparently Skylar tweeted that like she had, like if she told all the information she knew, 
I don't know if it was like people would be hurt or upset or something like that. So maybe in their hearts, they thought, you know, if we stop being a friend and we just like move on with our lives, she'll tell our dark secrets or something. I don't know. But I think it's just sick that they, or that not that they, but that Sheila continues to be around the family and is helping with the investigation, knowing that she is the reason why they can't find Skylar. Yeah, that's just really sick to me. And I wonder how the family felt or feels knowing one who did it and two, like going back and replaying how many times Sheila came to them or called them or was, you know, at certain things for Skylar, knowing that she had a hand in it. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm also trying to figure out how Sheila really thought that she was going to get away with her part driving her own vehicle. Um, she didn't even try to like, I mean, I know she's not smart enough or probably have the means to, but she didn't try to like get a rental car or anything like that. She's literally driving her own vehicle and doesn't think about the fact that she could be, is, was, etc. recorded driving past Skylar's house. So I'm, I don't know. I story wasn't solid to begin with. Um, plan wasn't solid to begin with, but like it was already cracking at the seams before they even set it into motion. Another thing that was notated was the fact that, uh, or part of the reason why the students believed that the girls did it was because they kind of quote unquote joked about killing Skylar. Like whenever she would make them mad, they would make these one-off comments about like, you know, you're pissing me off and like, we're going to kill you. I don't know how you make that seem like it's a joke, but apparently that they would joke about killing her a lot. And so when she turned up missing and no one could figure out what was going on and it was, you know, they were the two people that saw her on that night and uh, all these other things are kind of pointing to them. People are like, yeah, you joked about it enough. It's kind of not far-fetched to believe that you had something to do with it, even if you didn't do it per se you know something so I mean like I said this plan was already cracking at the seams before they even set it into motion like they were already on somebody's radar before things just really really took off I didn't see anything I mean I know this is like um what is this 2012 so I didn't really see anything about them like researching or pulling um like text messages or phone calls from Skylar's phone um because I feel like if they did that, then they would have been able to tell that she was asked to leave her house at this time. And she was getting these messages from Sheila and Rachel. And that kind of might have would have helped them pinpoint a little bit more where she was and that she was with them at the time. I don't know if that was a thing back then or... um if the most that you could get off someone's cell phone records was just where their phone was pinging at certain times, like which towers it was connecting to. And I guess last but not least, I, I said this already, but um, Sheila is kind of painted to be more of the psychopath because she was able to continue living life, tweeting and going out, having a good time. Um, knowing what she did to her friend and Rachel was kind of falling apart at the scene. She was way more quiet and she really did seem to be affected in other ways. Um, that whole mental break happened obviously after everything. And it's believed that she was holding on to that for so long and probably being back in town. Everybody's looking for Skylar and talking about Skylar probably was sending her like through the roof. Like, you know, when she was off 
at camp, you know, maybe she saw some things, but it, she wasn't smack dab in the middle of the entire investigation. And so it just really caused her to break at the seams. And she finally cracked and was just like, like, look, this is what happened. I can't take it anymore. I, you know, and so to me, like I said, psychology, that says to me that this wasn't Rachel's idea. It was more so Sheila's idea. And Rachel just kind of went along with it um, because her and Sheila were closer. And I'm assuming that Sheila had some good rationale for why they needed to kill her. Not just to like, oh, we need to get rid of her. But some rationale that Rachel, you know, was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. So the girls thinking that they were like smart enough to plan so they like okay we're gonna we're gonna kill her and we're going to stab her one okay um stabbing someone takes a lot of energy like it you have to exert a lot of energy to stab somebody repeatedly like just imagine being I'm trying to think of like just imagine being in a fight where you're just punching someone repeatedly. That's the motion that you have to utilize in order to stab somebody repeatedly. So you're exerting a lot, a lot of energy to stab someone. And it was it was said that they overkilled. Like they stabbed her so many times. So they're out here like I was gonna say getting a workout in, but I, I don't want it to sound like I am um like playing with the situation not playing but like that's really what it is they're out here really working themselves exerting all this energy trying to stab her over and over and over again and you know i guess one they think they're fit enough to do it but then they grab a shovel because they're like we're gonna bury her that's how we're gonna dispose of the body they have a change of clothes they have cleaning supplies i'm not really sure what they were gonna clean up i don't know if they were like just wiping down but they're outside so i'm not really sure what they were gonna clean um, and they didn't kill her in the car. So, you know, I, I'm not really sure what it is that they needed to clean while they needed cleaning supplies, but just in their heads thinking like, Oh, we're so smart. We've, we've thought of all of our bases. And then they couldn't even keep the same consistent story. The, the car situation, the phone situation, as far as it pinging, um, them saying that they went in one direction when they really went in another and surveillance footage showing that the fact that when they were asked to take them, to the police to the route that they took they were unable to travel the route they quote-unquote went um like piss poor planning like again I, I'm, I'm not saying this to to teach people how to do crimes correctly but just breaking this down um this in all actuality if they hadn't overlooked their friends thinking these are her friends these are people who love her these are people who are looking out for her in all actuality these two probably could have been caught way before they were actually caught um because they were the work was so shoddy it was so sloppy and they couldn't keep keep up they have so many holes and you know if people were noticing the holes in their relationship and they were noticing their behaviors after everything took place had these two not been their, her best friends i believe that maybe they would have been questioned harder and looked at a lot harder from day one but because they were her friends and everybody just kind of believed that they would never do anything to hurt her they were just kind of given a pass kids rationales were we didn't like her i think earlier i said that their rationale or like they answered we didn't like her this was all from 
from Rachel's account at this point, they didn't even, they hadn't even re-interviewed Sheila. So Rachel says that their rationale was we didn't like her, but what a horrible reason to die. Like, we just don't like you anymore. Like, what? What? And this story is labeled like the real live Mean Girls. Like, they reference Mean Girls a lot um, when, when researching the story. And I can definitely see the similarities. But like... We didn't like her. That that's enough reason to kill somebody is you you didn't like her. I don't like a couple of people. I don't I don't like I'm not friends with certain people. Me and certain people's vibes and energies don't match, but I don't think I could ever go to a police station and tell them like, "Oh, I did such and such, you know, horrible terrible crime. I stabbed them. I I I beat them up cuz I didn't like them." Like you have to really have something missing for that to be your rationale and then you have no remorse for her because you didn't even like as you're doing it nothing clicks in your head of like we're actually killing somebody and then you just wait around for her to die like you get you attempt to do nothing to rectify the situation and then you just go on living life uh it was reported that when sheila was picked up she was out to eat and i know like at this point i think it's been months so you know some people might be like well the girl has to eat she does have to eat but the fact that she's just moving on with her life as if nothing ever happened she's out to eat she's hanging out with people she's having a good time she's tweeting about law and order which ironic you know you law and order is one of your favorite shows and then and like you didn't even let it teach you a couple of tips and tricks but I digress anyways um she's out just living life and I think that's really sick um that you're just out doing whatever you want to as uh, your best friend's family is torn up and looking for her trying to figure out where she is what happened to her you are continuing on with your life subtweeting and talking about mundane things and you know whatever teenagers do and then tweeting you'll always be my best friend like you're not the reason that there's a body anyways that's the end of this segment um of the psychology that is the end of burning questions i try to ask or answer questions that i feel like you guys are asking as i'm going over the story so you know let me know if i'm doing a good job with answering some of your questions or breaking down some of the things that i noticed that maybe you know you wanted me to elaborate more on and i also try to throw in things that i didn't put in the actual story uh that i think may give a little bit more light Thank you for taking the time out to listen to this story. I actually think today's episode is a little longer than most of my other episodes. Um, so thank you for rocking out with me for a little bit longer. I was told that my episode last week was a little too short. So here's a little bit more time um, that I sprinkled in here to make up for last week. <laughs> But um, on a more serious note, as always, I want to take the time to to I just want to give a moment of silence for Skylar Niece. I'm going to try to include um things like if anything changed like um in this story 
they implemented Skylar's law. I'm going to try to put in like little tips and tricks of, of how to keep you from being the who basically stating like, I'm going to try to give you safety tips and information on how to keep you from being a victim of things of this nature of this sort. I um, honestly, unfortunately don't have anything this episode besides, you know, watch your back. Um, I think that whole like keep your enemies close closer and your friends close thing is like I don't know in this day and age I don't think you should have anybody who wishes you harm who means you no good in your circle in your camp I think you should um you know move around um because things like this will happen you know you keep your enemies closer and they're plotting against you so I guess today's tip of the day information is just like be vigilant and be careful because sometimes the people in your circle the people who you love who you care about who you would do anything for um are actually you know doing anything to get rid of you they're jealous of you they're plotting against you they're doing whatever they feel needs to be done in order to come out on top they're like crabs in a barrel so just stay vigilant keep your eyes open make sure that you know um if you see something you say something i say that every week because that is so so true if if the kids in this high school didn't report what they saw um this this story may not have panned out the way that it did so you know kudos to them and for the police and for her family for being vigilant and staying on top of it um but yeah just gosh that's scary that's so scary but yeah just just don't be naive basically your friends can be your friends today and tomorrow they can be your worst nightmare your worst enemies and so if at all costs if you start to see a change you start to notice a change um you know don't put your blinders on figure out what's going on and if it can't be resolved if it can't be helped it's time to cut ties it's time to let it go and move on because you don't want to be one of these people that I report about and your, you know, their your your killer or the person who attacks you's reason, reason and rationale is we didn't like them. Like screw you, man. Screw you. We didn't like her. Uh, as you can see, this is another one that irritates me. But anyways, you guys, I am gone. Um, remember to continue to keep sharing with your friends and your family. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Remember to love one another, even love your enemies, um, to be kind to one another because you never know what someone is going through, what they are facing at home, um, you know, but don't put people before you. So be kind and love other people, but make sure you take care of you too. Um, and we can't save everybody. We can't. Skylar believed that she could save her friends Skylar believed that she could save Rachel and ultimately it ended up costing her more than she probably thought it would so I'm trying to end on a positive note I'm sorry you guys remember to love one another and be kind to one another um to hug and love on your loved ones and to be vigilant and watch out for what lies in the dark I will see you guys next week for another episode to help feed your true crime addiction love you guys see you next week